Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Hey, Bettys. I wanted to talk today about menopause. And I get this question quite a bit, mainly because I do a lot of work. Really, the breadth of my work is around cyclical living. So we talk about how to eat based on your menstrual cycle, how to train based on your menstrual cycle. And of course, invariably, I always get the question, well, what about the ladies that don't have a menstrual cycle? What about women who are in menopause? And I wanted to talk about some of the things that we can be doing as menopausal women, both in terms of a reframe and how we view menopause and also some of the metabolic and nutritional and lifestyle parameters that go along with it. So let's dive in. And for menopausal women, you may think, I mean, we see this everywhere in our culture, but you may think that mother nature taketh away, she taketh away the cycle, but she also giveth quite generously actually. And it's just a matter of paying attention to the gifts that a menopausal woman is bestowed rather than focus on the gifts that we have lost. So some of the things that we have lost, that some of the things that we lose when we enter menopause, let's just make a list so we can burn it, okay? And then we can focus on the joy and the freedom of what you now have. So the first obvious thing is your reproductive capacity, right? No more menstrual cycle. This means you cannot have children anymore. And this one's a real, this is a big one because I think so much of our culture is really focused on youth and we equate being beautiful with being fertile. And so of course the question becomes, well, if I'm no longer fertile, can I, no, can I, you know, am I no longer beautiful? I counter that with the idea that yes, it's mechanistically true that we can no longer birth human beings. We can no longer create babies in menopause, but our ability to create and to birth new projects are still here and potentially even amplified now. I would say that it would be amplified in, in menopause because now that you're free from that cyclicity and the ebbs and flows of your, of your hormones, right? So you are much more steady, which means you can create to your heart's delight. I like to call this big ovary energy. Like just because your girls are not creating a period anymore doesn't mean that you can't create. So it's while you're no longer you know, reproductive, woman, you are still productive. So you can still be creating uh, and, and bringing beautiful things into this world. The second thing I wanted to address with menopause is this idea of loss of sensuality, loss of sexuality, and loss of sexiness. And again, you know, with our youth-obsessed culture, uh, we often, we actually often see this in films. Uh, you know, we see these women in their 50s, they're portrayed as these like monolithic, sexless, fembots, you know, that show no skin, largely invisible, they're depressed, and who've basically given up on life. And for, I would like to call bullshit on that because women in menopause, if we choose to, are vibrant, they're confident, they know what they want, and they go after it. And come on, ladies, we all know this, right? Sexiness is an inside job and it exudes from within. If you think you're hot stuff, guess what? your hot stuff. And 
If you just look, there are countless examples of women in their 50s and beyond who are just rocking it. A couple of my favorites would be Monica Bellucci, like, oh my gosh, I bow down to this woman. One of my favorites, Sophia Loren, who actually hangs in my library because I want to look at her every time I'm looking at books because she's just an icon. Uh, Linda Carter, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jane Fonda. God, she's like a firecracker. Julia Roberts. I mean, they're just, they're, they're everywhere. And like, and also, hello, can we take a, you know, a moment to remember the iconic halftime show in earlier this year with Jennifer Lopez and Shakira? Like, I don't know about you, but that was a redefining moment for me because these women not only have similar ethnicities to me, but they were in thongs, they were in crystal bodysuits, belly dancing, you know, singing and being free. Like they owned, they owned their containers, they owned their bodies, they owned their sexiness. And I think that that's possible for every single woman who is in menopause. I mean, we have the experience, we have the life experience that we can just be like, you know what? I'm just going to rock this part of my life. And that actually, you know, the other point I wanted to make around menopause is really boundaries and attitude uh, changes. Um, For a woman, her brain is no longer, a woman in menopause, uh, her brain is no longer going through the ebbs and flows of her cycle. And many women note that that they are less concerned with being that nurturing, doting, sometimes helicopter, you know, mother and being more concerned with being themselves again and doing things that are pleasurable for them, which, you know, comes on the heels of, you know, likely decades of taking care of little humans and taking care of their partner and taking care of all these, you know, sick parents, et cetera, et cetera. And I think women in menopause have the ability to set more strict boundaries uh, for themselves and say no when they mean no. Now, we all, I have been there. We have all acquiesced. We have all said yes when we meant no. And women who are in menopause, at least some of the women that I know and look up to, they're hard no's. They, it's like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I love the idea of encouraging a woman in, in menopause to follow the beat of her own drum, to follow the beat of her heart. And be concerned about giving herself pleasure because she's, you know, if I, if I bet some money, likely that she has been taking care of many other people for a big majority of her life. So hopefully, I mean, that, those are my views on, on menopause. That's how I dream about floating through uh, this time of life. And I hope that it's opened the door for you to reconsider and potentially not dread menopause. Um, now, of course, working with women in menopause, the transition is not always smooth sailing, right? There can be some hiccups if we don't start addressing those things now. So first thing, I want to talk about a couple things that can make the uh, menopausal transition difficult. The obvious one is your ovaries, right? So after working week in, week out, you know, hard working ovaries for 40 or more years, you know, they're like, okay, we're going to retire. We want the Rolex and we're going to go on permanent vacation, right? So obviously, and of course the knock-on effect of your ovaries saying like no more periods is they are the major center for our sex hormones, for our testosterones and for our estrogens. So after menopause, after we cease menstruating, the ovaries stop producing estrogens and instead they are now going to be made by primarily by the adrenal glands, the liver and the fatty tissue. So our adipose tissue uh, in our body. 
So right away, as a menopausal woman, you are going to want to love up on your liver. You're going to want to get your metabolism in check because your liver is a really important part of your metabolic, the metabolic cascade and be thinking about your adrenal glands because now these are the primary drivers of estrogen production. So in the context of metabolism, one of the things we want to consider as we age is that we generally become more insulin resistant, okay? Now, this is going to vary from person to person. Uh, and of course, I'm going to outline, I have some strong opinions on how we can improve uh, insulin resistance. Big shocker there. But I wanted to, before we kind of get into that, let's actually determine if insulin resistance is a thing for you. So the first thing I want you to do is take your waist to hip ratio. What that means is you basically want to measure your waist, usually around the navel or uh, you know, the, the natural part of your, your natural waist. And then also around the widest part of your hips. So for most women, that's going to be near the acetabular head of the femur. So you, if you sort of poke around in the hip area, you'll sort of feel like a bone there. It's the widest part of your hips. And then you want to divide your waist number by your hip number. And that ratio should not be greater than 0.8. And I like looking at waist to hip ratio rather than weight because we are not focusing on weight, but rather the proportions, the proportions of the body, which is, uh, which is more important and really does, you know, I think as a society, we're generally too obsessed with weight anyway, which never takes into account our muscle. I mean, it does in, to some degree, but for example, I'm 141 pounds but I'm 18% body fat. So I have like, this bitch has muscle. Uh, but someone might be like, oh my God, 140 pounds, like eek, like I need to lose weight. It's like, no, I actually want to gain. I want more muscle. So that's the first thing, waist to hip ratio. Second is if you're a data nerd like me, you may want to consider a glucose monitor, uh, either a CGM or you can do the finger prick uh, kind and, or you can do a blood test really to measure your fasting glucose. So uh, as a minimum in terms of levels, I like to see a minimum number of less than 90 milligrams per deciliter. And if I have my choice, if it's unicorns and sparkles and rainbows, I want it to be between 80 and 85 milligrams per deciliter. Um, in addition, to give you a little bit more context uh, to your blood glucose, I would also maybe look at your lipid profiles as well. And we talked about cholesterol and lipid marker markers in depth with Dr. Ethan Weiss on the podcast, as well as Dr. Dale Bredesen. So you can check both of those out. We do an in-depth uh, dive in terms of lab markers and what is uh, considered uh, appropriate, but I'd be looking for, as a summary, I'd be looking for HDL to triglyceride ratio. One to one would be perfect. Uh, Non-HDL cholesterol, uh, LDL particle number, uh, I'd want that number under a thousand if I, if I had my way with you. Um, and, to get, and that'll also give you a sense of what's happening. So you can look at your lipids, look at your fasting blood glucose uh, for an indication of your um, metabolic health. So if you do do those things and you, and you realize that you are insulin resistant uh, or you just want to level up your metabolic game in preparation for menopause, I strongly recommend a fasting regimen and a female-specific ketogenic program like the Estima diet. So you're not just going to be eating bacon and butter and repeat on the daily, all day, every day, but you're actually going to be getting green leafy vegetables, resistant starches, healthy sources of fat like monounsaturated fatty acids, polyunsaturates. And we teach you in the program how to do longer 
fast, shorter fast, how to fast in accordance with your hormones, how to eat in accordance with your hormones. And you can, you can just go to estimadiet.com uh, for more information. So that's E-S-T-I-M-A-D-I-E-T.com to check out more about the program there. The other thing that I spoke about um, in, AM, in AMA number five is this idea of resistance training. Ladies who lift, hashtag ladies who lift. So the more muscle mass you have, the better glucose disposal agent you are. In other words, the more muscle you have, the more carbohydrates you can generally tolerate because your muscles now can be the recipient of the glucose that you are taking, that the glucose from the blood, and that's going to actually reduce the need for that prolonged uh, insulin output. But wait, there's more. <laughs> if you have more muscle mass, you are also going to have more testosterone, which uh, many women who have low T, particularly as they're moving into menopause, um, can experience things like low libido and even things like painful sex, poor lubrication in the vagina, and even difficulty orgasming because of the rhabdomyolysis in the pelvic floor muscles. And this is often something women are too embarrassed to talk about. They won't talk about this with their doctor, or they may not even be aware that it's happening. So lifting weights are going to help with improving your testosterone levels. And of course, I think as I am a big believer in training your muscles every day, I also think as women, we need to be training ourselves for pleasure and orgasms. Because if you are not having them, I mean, ladies, we all know this, right? If you're not having them, we forget about them. So get some erotica, like get some erotic novels, get some coconut oil, schedule some time for yourself and for your pleasure. And, you know, I, I am a strong believer that it is your divine right to feel pleasure. So I really want you to claim it. And we could go into the anatomy of the vulva and the clitoris. Like, let, Actually, let's just do that just for a moment. Your clitoris, 8,000 nerve endings, more than double than that of the glans penis, which is obviously the male equivalent. And there is absolutely no reproductive function to the clit. No reproductive, no reproductive function to the clitoris. So... Your body, just think about the divine, like the divine creation of your body where you have uh, an area of your body that is solely dedicated to pleasure. So if you have a partner, that's great too. Uh, you know, you have a vibrator, that's great too. Just start climaxing, just start coming, okay? <laughs> um, all right, so the other thing I wanted to mention, we mentioned adrenal glands. I also wanted to talk about stress and stress management and releasing the stress that no longer serves you. So I'm going to give you a couple of questions that maybe you can journal on, meditate on, marinate on, and maybe they, maybe something comes up for you where you say, you know what, this story used to serve me, um, but it no longer does. So a couple of questions for you to think about when you are thinking about long-term chronic stress. And if you are someone in menopause, I would bet a lot of money that you've spent a lot of your years being stressed out. So thinking back to your childhood, and your, maybe your teenage years or as a young adult, what were some specific instances in which you noticed your family or your friends or someone close to you experiencing stress? And what was your takeaway? What was, what was the moral of the story or the lesson that you learned from that particular instance? And I find it really helpful. Um, I often write this out or I will even just audio record myself on my phone 
Because if we want to change the way that we think about a particularly stressful situation, we also need to be able to look at it and learn to look at it from a different perspective. So I always liken this to being an actor in the play versus being an audience member watching the entire play happen, right? The actor's perspective is our story, right? We know their role, they know their lines, how the actions in the play make them feel and behave. And, you know, we see things in the first person singular, right? It's the I or the me, like my father yelled at me. It made me feel shame. It made me feel upset. Or when I moved to another city, I felt isolated. I felt alone. Versus an audience member who can see the entire picture, not just that one particular actor, who can maybe understand why the father became upset or what external or internal pressures he was under that made him yell or the, the financial reasons or what have you that the, that the family chose to move if we're just following those examples. So think about some of these stories that you've been telling yourself probably for a long time that no longer serve you. Maybe you can thank them for how they protected and served you up until today. And now you're going to release them to make new room for new stories, for updated stories and more current uh, stories. Another couple of things for stress management, meditation and breath work. Um, Check out my two conversations with Emily Fletcher on the podcast. She did a really deep dive into meditation and how we can reduce It's seven times more um, restful than sleep, and it can really get rid of this deep-rooted stress. And I'm also always got to talk about supplementation. So big fan of magnesium, big fan of vitamin D uh, and omega-3s for all women. uh, And this is also true for women uh, in menopause. So for magnesium, uh, I'll link to the one that I use in the show notes, but a minimum of 400 uh, milligrams daily. Vitamin D, base minimum of 2,000 international units per day, but more depending on your latitude. So what I mean by latitude is um, the, the, the less natural sunshine that you are exposed to year round. Uh, so the further you live away from the equator, the higher the incidence of cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, autoimmune diseases, et cetera. And of course, we typically, when we enter menopause, we are at a much higher risk for these things. Um, because of our, because the hormonal milieu has changed. So definitely supplementing with vitamin D3. So D3 is, your D3 status is confirmed through blood, uh, but you may also want to look at your genetics as well. And I'll just share a, a clinical pearl here with you. Um, myself, I've worked with many women who have had, um, who come from warmer countries. So I am of Middle Eastern and Portuguese uh, descent but I've had women from the Caribbean, from Brazil, from Asia. And typically what I've noticed is from these warmer countries, they typically have lower activity in vitamin D binding protein, protein, pardon me. And this is totally my untested theory. Like I have, this is just my hypothesis here. It has, there's no papers to back this up. But my theory is that when these women come from warmer countries, who are naturally exposed to a lot of sun, they don't need this high efficiency gene. They don't need that vitamin D binding protein to be like, you know, super, super efficient because they already know that they're going to get a lot of D anyway. But then you take that woman with that genetic profile, let's say she's from Trini, you take her from Trinidad and you plop her in Toronto or New York or somewhere on the East Coast where there's winters and and four seasons, then we're going to see a problem with her vitamin D. 
So um, in the summertime, really important for women who, uh, who live north, like I do in Toronto or New York City, Maine, all, you know, all along the eastern seaboard, um, get your butt outside, suntan, and build up your own vitamin D uh, and your tan. So that can last you for several months into the colder months of the year. And the one final consideration I want to just mention around menopause, because I'm asked this all the time, is you know, what I've shared today are really lifestyle recommendations, right? So eating a carb-appropriate diet, weight training and lifting heavy weights, working on your stress management. But of course, there are other options like HRT, you know, hormone replacement therapy, testosterone replacement therapy as well. And there's quite a bit of conflicting evidence surrounding it, particularly HRT. And this is mostly because of the quite frankly, terrible job that the Women's Health Initiative study did. Um, I'm going to be super honest with you guys. I'm not sure where I stand on this issue as of yet. So I am actively researching HRT versus bioidenticals versus TRT. Uh, I assure you my nose is all up in the studies and I'm reaching out to some, some folks who I think have a better handle on this than I do. Uh, and bring them on the podcast to get more answers for you. So I don't have the solid answer on HRT or bioidenticals uh, yet. But I hope that you found this super useful. I hope that this has given you a reframe on menopause, how to eat, how to move, and how to think into these absolutely glorious years of your life. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.